0: Who says the Bible has to be boring? On the contrary, the Bible is the most thrilling book in the world. It's the only book with an invitation to join the very narrative you are reading. My goal is to be like your time traveling tour guide, taking you into an exploration of Scripture in search of precious treasure, timeless, life giving truths that inform us of who God is, who we are and how the story of everything really is his story. I invite you to join me as we learn to read the story, trust the story, and live the story, because there's no greater adventure than knowing the God of the Bible. I'm Brayden Brookshire, and this is Adventures in Theology. So 1 Peter chapter five, this is uh, a shorter chapter of his, and there's a few key things I wanna bring out here, but if I had to And this is the first thing in your fill-out, so we're getting right to it. If I had to give a key theme to 1 Peter 5, I would say it's this, humility. I would say 1 Peter 5, one of the key themes, if not the key theme, but one of the key ones for sure is humility. And I don't want to make the mistake of assuming that we all have a great grasp that in fact, I think it's fun to even on the things that we know, like I, I bet everyone here knows what humility is, but you know what, let's just for fun, let's dissect it. Let's just talk for a minute. What is humility and what isn't it? So basically, yeah, what do you guys think? What are misconceptions of what humility is and what is it? I think it's a very dynamic concept word. I mean, you can define it in a lot of these ways you guys already have. Um, if you didn't know this, fun fact, humility was not always considered virtue now most people you talk to today even if they're not necessarily a humble person everyone will generally acknowledge that humility is a virtue and even many workplaces or whatever it is places of influence will admire or admonish or encourage humility now the interesting thing is in the ancient world in the first century in the Roman Empire, it was actually the opposite of a virtue. Humility was something they did not encourage or desire. How fascinating is that? So when Christians encourage humility, let me just... So to contrast it with this, like, for example, to honor someone was a virtue, not just in Christianity, but even in the Roman Empire. To show honor to someone was a generally well-accepted good thing if you were a Christian or not, even if that might have taken a different shape as a pagan roman or as a christ believer but humility was something you would not desire and you wouldn't definitely not talk about with po- in a positive sense in the roman empire so i'm just opening your eyes to see that when you read scripture and it talks about humility it's incredibly countercultural to speak about it in a positive way so that's one of our times that we have to step out of our cultural lens of when we see, oh, humility—that's great. Everyone knows it's great. <laughs> Originally, they didn't. I actually think Christianity has brought humility into the fold of being a virtue, because beforehand it wasn't. Let me ask you a question. That's accurate. Yeah, that's accurate. Yeah, if you grew, if you accepted Jesus as Messiah, but you already had a Jewish background, this wouldn't be as shocking. But uh, I guess more of the point is to ex- to live a humble life, to express humility outward to the outside world. We Today, that's still considered a good thing, even if you're not a Christian. But back then, that was considered a just absolute, why would you do that? And part of the reason why is I think we need to kind of, not quite, recover is maybe a dramatic way of saying it, but yeah, okay. We need to recover some of the extreme things of what humility means. And uh, just, I think, for example, the Greek words around the idea of humility, and this is on your notes, uh, the Greek words around the idea of humility convey things like, lowliness of mind or smallness of stature and in that case metaphorically smallness of stature Um, metaphorically so lowliness of mind or smallness of stature And, and it's not dramatically different than like anything that you guys are defining in this room and so I believe all the concepts you have of humility are correct so I'm not here to change your thoughts on that per se but just to remind us of that and to set it in a backdrop that in the era of the New Testament this is a completely shocking thing, to want to pursue a humble life. Because to pursue a humble life is to pursue, for example, a lowliness of mind life or a smallness of stature, metaphorically, life. Whereas for them, it's like, hey, why not bolster your social status? Why not this? It's incredibly different to want to be humble, to say it that way. So your
1: question
0: kind of is basically... Basically, you're asking what's the relationship between confidence and humility? Can they coexist? Can someone be confident and humble? Um, let's address that first. Yes. And so I think a misconception of humility is that someone can't be confident. So, for example, you'll sometimes see the most timid person in the room, and that people will say, ah, they're just so humble. Doesn't mean they're humble. You could be timid and not humble, or you could be confident and also be humble. Yeah. Yeah, no. So it, it's just important to remember that, like, just because someone is quiet or timid doesn't mean they're humble. And so I think sometimes we falsely ascribe humility to certain people. Just because they're the quiet person in the room does not mean they're humble. They might they might be in their head thinking, y'all are a bunch of losers. Like, you know what I'm saying? They might be judging you in their head even though they're quiet. I'm, I'm not saying all quiet people do that. I'm just saying that that's a very much a reality. But same thing with confidence is someone could display confidence, even have a true form of confidence. It doesn't mean they're not humble because those things are not mutually exclusive. Let's see. Let's give a perfect example. I know you've already named a few, are John, Peter, Paul. Okay, Jesus. Like, is Jesus Jesus not both confident and humble? Well, absolutely. He even describes himself as being uh, lowly of mind. Uh, um, oh, sorry, lowly of heart, which he uses the word humble. <laughs> Tapanos. Uh, yeah, he uses lowly. That's in Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30, in that passage. Um, Come to me, all who we are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest because I am lowly in heart. So he describes himself in that way, but also we can see in Jesus that he clearly has confidence. He speaks on his own authority and all that, and as he should, he's Jesus. Yeah, <laughs> but it doesn't that, back down from anybody. He doesn't back down, yeah. So it, it, I don't want us to also think, I, think the, I believe it was last week we talked a little bit about boldness. You can be bold and also be humble. So Heather, you're someone who's really bold. That's just, we we love it. Heather is sassy, she's bold. Andrea is saying it, yep, amen, true. Uh, But- (laughs) I could work on my humility. No, 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 (laughs) I I was about to give you a compliment, but I genuinely think, and I'm not trying to just say, you know, whatever, I genuinely think you you display a great humility and I appreciate that. Through our friendship and everything, uh, I've really seen that. And so I think that's really cool. I think you walk it well, of having this boldness and this humility. And I've seen your humility a lot um, in your willingness to, you know, learn and grow. And I think that's beautiful. And I think that's part of that lowliness of mind is you described it as like an accurate representation of ourselves. And in fact, let's let's start to get into scripture, and we'll keep talking about humility a little bit. Uh, if you First Peter five, verse five, and we'll start in the second part of verse five, and because. I wish this was also a new start to the verse when it starts with all of you, clothe yourselves. We'll read that. Because all of a sudden he's transitioned to talking specifically to just elders or overseers in a church. To all of a sudden, hey, but what I just said actually applies to all of you. And so here's my instruction to all of you. Not just those in church leadership, in any sort of regard. So let's read from there. Let's read verse 5b. Um, well, let's just start in verse 5 because uh, there's going to be a few things to say. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because, and he's quoting from Proverbs, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Now, clothe yourselves with humility. For them, clothing was something obviously that you would wrap around yourselves and tie together. So what does it look like for us today to clothe ourselves in something that's an attitude or a posture of a heart like humility? What does that look like? So if if, instead of just understanding this passage, okay, cool, to be humble, what's it mean to clothe yourself with humility? What's that look like in our context? Because notice how he says, clothe yourselves with humility um, towards one another. So all of a sudden he makes, at least in this context, he makes humility directional. Yeah, someone who's humble is not focused on themselves. And that's, that reminds me of the famous C.S. Lewis quote on humility. I'm sure some of you have heard it. Does anyone know it off the top of their head? I don't know it off the top Okay, it, it, and uh, it's something to the effect of humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. So, which is true, which is a true way of doing that. Store that one away. Um, yeah, that one's for free. So it's not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. And that's, a, that's what you're saying, Wayne, and that's what you're saying too, Bruce, that it's like, okay, so if I'm considering others, if I'm looking out for them, that's Philippians 2, by the way, <laughs> that's a humble posture. Or get self
1: out of the
0: way. Yeah, you're getting yourself out of the way. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be uh, something, why not? Let's talk about that real quick. Getting yourself in the way. So, so what's he say? What, what about the proud? Well, God resists the proud. Oh, man, you do not want God to resist you. That is the most scary thing in the world. If God resists you, ouch. So God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Let's talk about this word proud. I think it's so fun because the etymology of this word, it's pronounced hupere fanos. You have to like, it's syllables. Huper-re uh, you don't have to know that by any means. huper But the point is, the etymology of this word really breaks down into two different parts. Huper is this prepositional prefix to the word. It's this word that is like above or high. It's it's how you would say something that's high, right? And then uh, Phanos would be from, you know, a root word of or whatever. So for light or to shine. And so if you break into two parts, it's literally this. Get this. Highlight. Someone who's proud, or at least in this particular word of proud, are those who highlight themselves. They highlight themselves. That is such a great way of thinking about those who are proud. You know those people who it always comes back and is somehow about them? Yes, you're laughing because you know it's true. Or you're laughing because I'm talking and that might be me sometimes. Um, (laughs) It's someone who highlights themselves. It's the opposite of humility from the few things that you guys have already described. here's The the truth is you guys already knew the answers to a lot of things we're talking about tonight. It's just hard to live them out, I think. But humility is the opposite of that. If it's the opposite of highlighting yourself, then it's moving the spotlight onto others. The humble life is doing that. It's moving that spotlight away from you. Because like we saw in this passage, and this is so good, I think a lot of us, and myself included, one of the misconceptions I had with humility is this. It's purely an inward posture. But a lot of the times when the New Testament talks about humility, it shows us that it's actually an outward expression. It's directional, just like you would talk about love. Well, you don't talk about love in the sense of loving yourself. Well, our our culture does, but... The Bible's not too interested in that. Love is directionally outward. It has an object and a benefactor and all this. Humility is kind of like that too. Yes, it is a heart posture. Yes, it is an attitude, but it has one that has an expression outward. That's, That's why Peter says, clothe yourselves with humility. Why? Well, not why, but toward one another, toward one another. So there's somehow an expression that happens when you're humble that it it is affecting those around you in a positive way, of course. Because if the proud are those who highlight themselves, the humble are those who move that spotlight onto others. And that is such a great thing. Because, I mean, supremely, what should we be doing with that spotlight is pointing to God. That's the easy answer. And that's true. But also the Christ-like thing to do is to move that spotlight onto others. It's like in Philippians 2, consider others as better than yourselves he's making a rhetorical point there and we can explore that another time beautiful passage beautiful passage but point being if the proud are those who highlight themselves the humble are those who move the spotlight off themselves if all of us let's say all of us truly practice the humble life the humble way well if i'm looking out for wayne and wayne's looking out for andre and andre is looking out for heather and heather's looking out for me and we're, we're all looking out for each other then yeah, I don't have to highlight myself. Wayne doesn't have to highlight himself. You don't have to highlight yourself because we're looking out for one another. And that's part of the beauty of the humble life. Instead of everyone is each for his own, like looking out for number one. No. Again, humility is directionally outward. And for me, that was my paradigm shift with humility when, I've been, when I studied humility more in depth. And now that I've arrived at humility, right? No, and it's that's a great thing about humility, right? It's, it's, yeah. Anyways. As soon as you've arrived, you fail. Yeah, exactly, right? It's a lot to say there. So, But I just want to point out a few other verses in Scripture. We're going to get more in depth on verses six and seven in just a second because I have a ton to say there. But I just want to point out that, for example, the whole Bible is consistent on God's heart for the humble. And so I just want to point out a few key verses that I really like. One from the Old Testament, one of my favorite verses in the Old Testament. Isaiah 57, 15 says this, and this is Yahweh speaking. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place. And also with him who is of contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. So get this contrast of what beautifully poetic this verse is. What was that? Isaiah 57, 15. So, get the awesome rhetoric, but poetry of what's being said here. God's saying, I am high and lifted up. And yes, he is. My name is holy. I dwell in the high place. But you know where else I dwell? With the lowly. God's heart, although he is high and lifted up, is he chooses to reside with those who are lowly in heart. Because in a sense, if Jesus truly is God, which we believe he is, obviously, uh, he's lowly in heart too. So there's a f- sort of camaraderie in that. And so I just love that word play. He's the high and lifted up one who cares for the lowly and revives the spirit of the contrite. Great verse. Another one, Matthew 23, 12, Jesus speaking. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Well, that sounds familiar. How about this? Luke 1, 52. This is in, uh, I believe, the Magnificat of Mary. And she says... And he's, she's talking about God. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. Okay, James 4.10. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Now, it's the only verses I'm going to share for right now because I think you get the point and there's quite a breadth to scripture on this. But I wanted to also show you the difference of like different authors. I mean, I just showed one from the Old Testament, but Matthew, Luke, and James. We've been talking in Peter. You have plenty of verses in Paul like this. One of the most common themes in scripture about humility is that God has such a heart and such a soft, his heart is drawn to humility, but his heart resists the proud. And that's, and it is this weird trust thing where, God, like, are you going to? take care of me? Are you going to look at, if I take the humble route, will you truly exalt me? And and that's vague language. I mean, ultimately it means eschatologically, what I mean. Like in, in the end goal, God will exalt us as the humble, right? As those who follow Him. But there also are times that He does vindicate us even in life right now. As And some of us have probably experienced that where you can probably tell stories of the times when you took the humble route and God like came through in a way that wow, that's really cool how he showed up. I would have tried that in my own strength, but he came through, and he raised that up, and that was great, and so there there are those cases, and so um, verses six and seven will carry on this same contrast of the proud and humble, so let's read those verses, six and seven, because this is the same thought. Like, I, I think it's unfortunate when some Bibles will put like a new subheader. No, this is the same thought. <laughs> Keep reading, so in fact, let's Read read where we started, back in verse 5b. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, another, because God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he might exalt you at the proper time, casting all your cares on him because he cares about you. Now, it's kind of ironic to me. I just noticed this today. It's kind of ironic to be told to humble yourself before God, as if we are somehow peers with him. Have we thought about that? Like the instruction to be told, humble yourselves before God, as if you're somehow peers. Well, obviously not. Humbling ourselves before God isn't lowering ourselves because we are peers. It's more about having an, and this is something you mentioned earlier, Heather, it's more about having an accurate estimation of ourselves before God. That's why we need to be told to humble ourselves, humble ourselves before God, to have an accurate estimation of ourselves. So the command to humble ourselves, though, actually it's cool because this passage gives us an explanation of how to do so. And I love when Scripture does this, and I don't think many of our translations will specifically point this out so clearly. Uh, does anyone have a translation of verse 7 that starts with cast? Not casting, but cast, and it begins with a new sentence? Like a period and then cast? Yeah. yeah, that's, yeah that's... All right, what translation is yours? N-I-E. Okay. Okay, uh, I don't usually like to bash on translations, and I actually like the NIV most of the time. I don't like the NIV on this. It makes it seem like a whole new thought. Now, I'm going to get really nerdy and technical, and I'm going to explain something, and then we're going to unpack it more in lay terms. Okay, so here it is. In verse 6, is your, main, your ha- main verb of this clause is your verb that reads in English, humble yourselves. Great, we're tracking. Main verb, humble yourselves. Now, when you get to verse seven with where it says cast or casting, casting all your cares on him, that word casting is your participle. Now in Greek, participles are always um, subordinate in the supporting of whatever that main finite verb is. The finite verb is humble yourselves and the participle is casting your cares on him. So let me put piece this together for you. The main idea he's communicating is this, your main verb, humble yourselves before God. Let me tell you how. That's where the participle comes in. This is known as an instrumental participle. It's going to answer the question, how do I do that? By casting all your cares on him because he cares about you. Let's make this clear as day. Not clear as mud, clear as day. How does Peter encourage us to humble ourselves? By casting our cares on God. That's literally how he's telling us to humble ourselves. On On God? Uh, I think in this case, it's actually giving us permission to be aware of our needs to cast them on God. So there's a sense where we're supposed to be, as C.S. Lewis Lewis would say, to be self-forgetful in humility, to to think of yourself less, right? And I think that's equally true. Part of humility is moving the spotlight on others, but this verse also is now bringing another part of that equation. Well, part of humility actually is giving your cares to God. And we're going to unpack this, but this is in your notes, so just and I've already been saying this, but one way we can actively humble ourselves before God is by casting our worries on Him. Like, and to me, this is so liberating and encouraging, and here's why. Because, basically, you mean to say that one of the ways to become a more humble person is to give God my burdens? Yes. I, I can get on board with that. I can do that. In this passage, it's a unique angle on humility that I don't think a lot of us Get because you're invited to, on the journey of becoming more humble, <laughs> you're invited to become more humble, and here's how. Here's his how to do it, by casting your cares on God. That is such, to me, such an encouraging way to like become more humble. Um, and I want to say more about it in a second, but think about the contrary for a second of this. If we continue to worry, then we're actually caving into pride or becoming proud. But how so? How can worry... Be criticized as pride. What do you think? That's important because this is a. The and because
1: you think you can
0: provide for yourself. You think yeah. you can provide for yourself. Yeah. You think yeah. you can breathe for yourself. You, you think, think you can breathe for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Keep
1: your body going so that you can go to work, so that you can earn money, so that you can buy your food. Like every breath. Is given from god every way your body moves every ability every thought you have it's like none of that you don't do any of that nothing happens on your own strength is would be considered prideful because you think you have oversight over all that stuff
0: worry is the uh delusion of control uh, we, we don't have, because like everything is actually a gift of common grace. And I think the things that happen routinely, we're more likely to take for granted. So the fact that you can breathe in and out, and you're breathing in and out involuntarily, something that even when you're asleep, you don't have to worry about. It's happening involuntarily and uh, all these other things. But the breathing, I think is just such a great example of it because it happens involuntary. It happens while you sleep and all of that. That's a gift of common grace, but that's not on you. You, it's not on your own strength that you keep breathing like that.
1: Well, I have asthma. So I've spent a great deal of time
0: thanking God for breathing. <laughs> yeah. So. It's a beautiful thing. I think that's breathing is a gift of, it's a gift, but it's also an awesome gift of reliance. and mm-hmm. I like that. Wait, but it's and that reminds me of a quote from uh, Thomas R. Schreiner. Um, he wrote a commentary on First Peter <clears throat> in the New American Commentary series. And he says this worry is a form of pride because when we are filled with anxiety we are convinced that we must solve all the problems in their own strength the only god they trust is in themselves end quote the only god they trust is in themselves and it's interesting because we make a god out of ourselves when we then when we have problems and burdens and worries and all that we now think and look to ourselves to have the strength or the solutions for those things so it's the opposite of humility Exactly. What am I going to do? How can I solve this? All of this. We're suddenly treating ourselves like the sovereign mm-hmm. that we're really not when we actually need to surrender. And that's so surrender and not acting out of personal sovereignty is actually a pathway to humility. That's so important to know. It mind up and to watch God
1: provide. It does. It opens up
0: your faith. I mean, like, check it out. Yeah, it opens your eyes to His provision. Absolutely. That's Jesus gave that, or pointed
1: out the woman that gave her, her last two coins at the temple. Hmm. You know, it's like, of course she was worried. You know, she she couldn't possibly provide for herself, and that was it. That was all she had. So, you know, but she said, "I love God. I'm going to trust Him. He said He would take care of me. Somehow He'll
0: work yep. it out." So true.
1: And He highlighted her.
0: Yes. Yeah, see, going back to it, if uh, that's what happens. When we don't highlight ourselves and we move the spotlight where it belongs on God and then on others, God highlights, exalts, raises us up, lifts us up.
1: So if she took on board the hey, you know, God will lift you up when you're humble, right? Now, how many thousands of years and millions of people have read about her? Okay? It's true, you're right. How many millions of people... And thousands of years have we read about John the Baptist, right? Mm -hmm. He was humble, and God lifted him up. up. And he's a household name. Even people who don't believe know John the Baptist had his head on a silver
0: platter. And you know what I love about that example is John the Baptist would not care about getting the recognition of being in Scripture. And that's part of the beauty of it is if someone's truly humble and not a false humility that's actually seeking to get something from it, true humility at the end of the day, even when exalted... Still doesn't need the spotlight. That's part of the essence and beauty of what makes humility so attractive. And attractive to God, too. Because it just puts the spotlight right back where it belongs. Um, So this phrase, let's just read this verse again so we just have it in our heads. Humble yourselves, which is the main verb here, right? Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he might exalt you at the proper time, and the participle that's supporting that, how do I humble myself? By casting all your cares on him because he cares about you. Gosh, a few cool things to point out here during these last several minutes is this. The phrase, all your cares, this is going to sound nerdy, but again, I, there's a few insights tonight that I think are really worth it. It's marked by a singular form of words in Greek, which give a certain stress to each one. So it, it could read like this. Casting every single one of your cares onto God. And let me tell you why this difference, although a subtle, is profound. We might sometimes feel so worried or anxious and then just throw up a prayer, Lord, help me with my worry. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. I would encourage that. But what Peter's doing here is he's inviting us to honor our worries by giving them more weight and even humbling ourselves to humbly talk through each one with our caring God it looks more like honoring each one. And what that'd be is like, Lord, I'm really worried about my health. I got a diagnosis that I don't know how, the doctors don't know how to interpret it yet. And I'm waiting to hear back in these next few days between calls is agony. I, God, I need to bring you into this. Instead, of, I, I, I need to talk through this. Like I need to, or Lord, I don't know how I'm gonna pay my bills next month now that i'm laid off um i don't know what this looks like yeah exactly or even just like little things like <laughs> even earlier this week i had a very discouraged few hours and i lord i'm just so discouraged right now and i know this might seem so but i i, I bet two, five years from now i won't even remember this little moment in time so twinkle in time that i felt super discouraged but right now i feel it and it's real And uh, this week in Life Group, we're talking about casting our cares on you. So it's probably a really appropriate time to talk to you about it. This is a true story from earlier this week. Um, No, so you're right, Bruce. It's the big things. It's the little things. It's everything in between. It's everything because it's casting, not just all your cares. That's what your translations probably say, all your cares. That's a fine translation. But what I'm trying to say in the nuance in the Greek that I'm trying to bring out to you, that's casting every single one of your cares on him. There's a different emphasis that hits when you read it that way. Cast all your, cast every single one of them. Why? Because he cares for you. Man, that is such an, like, theologically, what is the theological truth about God from tonight? Gosh, there's a few ones you could point out. One of them, he cares. So that way, when you are there to literally bad word and complain and (laughs) vent all your, what's going on in the, sometimes the burdens that are completely legitimate and some that you're wrestling with the legitimacy of, whatever, he is there. He's fully attentive. He's not multitasking. I mean, he is in the sense that he's God, so please track with what I'm actually saying here, but he's the ever-present, omnipresent God who knows how to be fully engaged in what you're saying while also attending to other people, so please get what I'm saying there. Again, he cares. So you can cast every single thing you're worried about, and I want to challenge you sincerely. I sincerely want to challenge you to take this promise to heart and actually start doing this Because I don't know about you, but prior to this week and having this particular passage be more in the forefront of my mind, I haven't, I've been more of the throwing up the like, God, I'm just, uh, I have all these worries and I'm just throwing them at you. But I see there's more relational equity that takes place when I'm like, God, I think you want me to unpack these worries with you. And there's something that happens. And I'm not saying every single time it's this amazing peace that surpasses understanding when I do this, but sometimes there is. And it's not when I do this quick little, God, I'm worried, thanks, I'm giving it to you, but sitting with it, acknowledging it. Guys, honoring the weight of some of your worries is one of the best ways to actually combat them. And I'm saying honoring them in the context of prayer. So honoring them in the context of bringing them to God. Totally. You know, then this is my, actually my true, true, true closing thought on this is that we wildly underestimate how much God cares. Yes, that is for sure. My we Lord. wildly underestimate how much He cares, and so let me challenge you to try to lean into that. Bring every single one of your worries, and not just your worries, just bring everything to Him. He cares.
1: Yeah, it's kind of like remembering who you are, only we're
0: remembering who God is. Yes. And how big he is. Yep. You know me, I'm a big theology guy, and so if the theological truth, if it, what's the truth about God? He cares. God is caring. If you had to put God as the subject, God is what? God is caring.